Hi there, I'm Gabby. Welcome to the Happier Life Project, brought to you by the free award-winning mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self. In last week's episode, you met Victoria Neve, a female confidence coach, mentor, social media influencer, and founder of The Glow Up Project, which aims to inspire women to understand that the real glow up is an inside job. Vic is a strong advocate for body confidence and breaking stigma around mental health and is extremely passionate about empowering women to unconditionally love and own themselves. And we talked about the role love plays on our mental health on last week's show, the love we give ourselves and the love that we receive off others. We also talked about the impact of Valentine's Day on our well-being and why, no matter our relationship status, the pressure and emphasis of February 14th can be challenging and make anyone question themselves and their partner or lack of. And also, we talked about why, really, it's only a day and should not have the power to make anyone feel like crap. If you haven't listened to the episode, it's called Love, Mental Health and the Glow Up Project with Victoria Neve. So, of course, we learn all about the Glow Up Project too and heard the beautiful story about how Vic and her partner Mike got together and how he has been her biggest champion on her own self-love journey. And so today, as promised, you're going to hear Victoria Neve's own personal and complicated story with her body her confidence, or lack of at the time, and how that led her on the path of self-development and then going on to help so many others. You will hear how Vic managed to overcome the clutches of a very serious eating disorder, and then once physically recovered, what it was like to be thrust into the world of bikini modeling, and what that did to both her physical and mental health. Now, at this point, I will pause with the trigger warning. We do talk in this episode about anorexia, orthorexia and body dysmorphia. If this makes you feel uncomfortable or nervous about listening to in any way, please skip this one or come back to it a different day when you're feeling more comfortable listening. Luckily, Vic's story ends on a positive. Not all are so lucky and I have so much admiration for Vic's grit and determination to get better. And it's really interesting to get a glimpse into the world and mindset of these bikini and bodybuilding models and quite frankly the torture they put on themselves to look quote unquote the picture of health. So, ready to hear Vic's story and find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. So if we could go back to this very complex relationship you've had with your body for quite a while, which I believe started in the dancing years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I always had a really good relationship with my body. Well, I, I I just didn't really have a relationship with my body. My body was my body. It helped me dance. And that was what I wanted to do. I, you know, I was dancing since I was three years old. And when I was, I was 13, I decided I wanted to, that's what I wanted to go into full time. Um, so when I left school at 16, I went straight to dance college. 
And I was fine for the first couple of years of dance college. There, there wasn't, you know, you are surrounded by people talking about body image quite a lot mm. and you're surrounded by mirrors on the daily wearing next to nothing. So there is that level of comparison did start to show up for me, but nothing that would ever, well, I thought would ever trigger me to develop an eating disorder. Mm. And it was in my second year going into third year of dance college that I started to develop anorexia nervosa and it just started out with me wanting to have a better body like a more perfect body to go into third year because third year is when you're doing your dance auditions and you you know you're trying to get a job in third year so I thought right I've perfected my skills as a dancer the only thing I could work on now is like maybe getting a more toned stomach and leaner legs Mm. and the pursuit for that very quickly turned into an obsession and completely took over all, I guess, like rationale towards what a healthy body was. Mm. And yeah, I guess an eating disorder completely takes over your mind. Like it takes over you as a person. And before I knew it, like it was within six months, I'd gone from, I guess, like looking healthy and feeling healthy to being in a position where my health team were telling me if if I'm not to recover, then there's a chance I'll lose my life. Mm. And yeah, that that's how I developed the eating disorder. Did it start with, or was this when you started to sort of train in, in a different way? You had orthorexia as well, because I heard you talking about that on a podcast. And we've recently covered orthorexia. It took two episodes, actually, to really get kind of into the obsession with healthy eating and not kind of wanting to pollute your body, if you will, with anything that's like, you know, sugar or dairy, or it's all about restricting from certain food groups, right? And also, it can be an, an obsession with exercise, too. So, did the orthorexia come later or did it start with orthorexia and then sort of grow into anorexia? Oh, do you know, it all happened so fast that I I don't fully remember. But what I do remember was, obviously I was dancing all day, every day anyway. And then for me to perfect my body, I started to go to the gym after dancing Right. And I would do, I would like run on the treadmill and do tons of sit-ups. And it was in that time when I started to weigh myself. And before then, I had no concept of what weight was, like what was a, a good weight, what was a yeah. bad weight. You know, like I'd never weighed myself before. I didn't know what to compare it to. So yeah. I only knew where my starting point was. And I think because of the way that we're conditioned to grow up, like when we're growing up is if you lose weight, if that scale weight is going down, then that's positive, that that's a good thing. So I um, started to weigh myself when I started to do this extra exercise. And I wouldn't say it was an it was an addiction at this time. It was just like an extra bit of something to do to try and get a bit of a better body. Mm-hmm. And then I remember when that scale weight stopped going down. And at this time I was, I was like, right, okay, well, I need to start looking at what I'm eating because... I also had no idea what healthy eating was. Like to me, healthy eating was just eating like some meat and salad. Had no idea of like, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what a protein, a fat and a carbohydrate was. And that was when I started to follow people on social media who were 
I didn't realize it at the time, but they were doing a uh, bodybuilding, you know, bodybuilding competitions, like bikini competing and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I think when, like, I used to look at those people doing, doing those competitions, the way they would train, the way they would eat. And I thought they were just health, like the picture of health. And so when they would be quite like obsessive about their food, I just started to try and take the tips from them because I had no idea. So that was when the orthorexia started to develop because I think a lot of these people were from America as well. And I think their mindset, uh, they were further on than us when it came to the clean eating thing. Yeah, yeah, I remember, I totally remember that time and it definitely came from the States, yeah. And it was was a huge kind. And a lot of these, interestingly, a lot of these people have since come forward and said, actually, this wasn't as healthy as I was proclaiming it to be, you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, well, it's not like, you know, when it comes to health, you, you're you not healthy just by eating what we would deem as healthy foods and exercising. Mm. If your mind is going crazy, if you go off plan or if somebody else puts your food in the oven or if somebody gives you 150 milliliters of orange juice as opposed to 100 milliliters of orange juice. Like if your mind is going mental from somebody doing that, Mm. you can't say that you're healthy. It's like so far from hell. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you were at college dancing then, when did you decide, I don't want to dance anymore? It's interesting as well because a lot of people who develop anorexia nervosa, it's not always because they want to lose weight sometimes it is but it does seem that like in dancers when it happens it is because you want to look as you feel a dancer body should look you know so like how did you start to heal and then is that why you stopped to dance was the with the pressure too much um no so I like within the space of six months I I was really ill and my principles like suspended me from college until I was better so it they kind of took that opportunity away from me which it was probably well it was for the best because I would have continued going so they kind of took that away from me and then I only really had the option of being at home all day every day and I didn't get better for quite a long time after that because I found it really difficult to not be dancing and to be eating more, which is what I needed to do. Like in my head, I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't do that. Like maybe I could eat more if I was dancing as well. But yeah. then at the time, like it's just counterproductive. Yeah. So, Did you get professional help then? Did you have like a therapist? Yeah, I was very lucky that. So when it started to become evident that, this just pursuit to have a better body was going out of control. And, you know, I think there was a, well, there was a time when I was driving to college and I just had like a breakdown and ended up driving back home. And because I was just picturing the way that the dance teachers used to watch me like with painful eyes, you know, as I'm demonstrating things and it made me feel really awful. Like it's, it's not their fault I think I would have looked at me the same way Mm. and I just ended up turning around and going home and you know I just said to my mom I was like mom like I hate myself and it was like the first time I'd opened up to my mom about the way that I was feeling she could obviously see that things weren't quite right but 
you know, you'll never accept somebody else telling you that you have an eating disorder. You have something wrong. Like you have to say it for yourself. Yeah. So she took me to the doctors that day. And I'll be honest, like the experience wasn't amazing. They said, if I continue to lose weight, they'll put me on the waiting list to see a therapist. And what, like, here's the incentive. Yeah, it was, which to a mind who is developing, well, who has an eating disorder, it was the worst thing because to me, that's like like, challenge accepted. Literally challenge accepted. Um, They were just willing to kind of send me off with some antidepressants. And luckily, I, through my dad's work, we have private healthcare and my mum, like on the spot, she, she said, we're not waiting. Like we need to do something about this now. And this was like four months into me kind of losing weight. And so they referred me to a private therapist. So I, I was seeing a private therapist from quite early on, but when it comes to any kind of mental health um, illness, until somebody wants to do the work and until somebody wants to change, they're not going to change. And for about six months of working with this therapist, I would just tell him what he wanted to hear. And I wasn't actively doing anything to better myself because I didn't want to get better. I wasn't ready yet. Mm. And I guess the healing process came. I, I hit my, I had my like rock bottom moment. It was over New Year. I was on a cruise with my parents and I ended up having like my first ever binge. And I never experienced that before. And I was completely out of control. And I had like a kind of bad time after it. And my dad came in and found me and my dad like really broke down to me. And, and, and until that point, my dad had always been quite, strong and my dad's quite like a okay I'll take you to therapy and then we'll bring you home and we don't need to discuss anything that's yeah. going on yeah and which I which I appreciated at the time and he it was the first time he broke down to me and like really let me know how he was feeling about it all and and he was just like like why are you doing this to yourself mm. like you you've done this so that you could pursue your dance career and now you can't even dance like what what are we gaining from this situation and as soon as we got back from that trip, I had therapy and it was from that point that I started to, like my therapist was so shocked and I'm such a headstrong person. If I want to like lose six stone, I will lose six stone. If I want to get better, I will get better. And it was almost like a mindset switch. And that's not to say that my recovery was like, I decided one day and then it was just like all uphill and everything was fine and it wasn't difficult at all. Mm. But there was something that changed within me where I just knew like, I need to get my life back. Something that like I need to add in here because this is something that I I guess I only realized quite late on with my therapist and, and as I'm in my recovery, I was always always somebody who like growing up, whatever would happen to me in my life, like I never went through anything so traumatic, but anything happened around me, I would just kind of smile it off. And I was always that person who everybody else came to with their problems and I would always help them out. And I still am that person. Like I love helping people through what they're going through mentally. And when I was 18, like there was stuff happened at home and it was really quite traumatizing for me. But again, as I always did, I brushed it over and 
it was after that that I started to develop the eating disorder mm. and what I, I, I you know I didn't because I was so used to not speaking about what was going on for me to anyone I didn't even think to discuss that situation with my therapist like to me I just thought this is all about my body this is all about me just wanting to be thinner and now I've got to gain weight again and I remember the day I mentioned it to my therapist I think it was like right at the end of the session and I just like mentioned it and it was really like harrowing for me to kind of relay the experience back there yeah yeah and it was like one of those moments he like pulls his glasses off and he's just like like why are we only talking about this now like But I genuinely just didn't think to, I didn't think to put the two and two together. And he was just like, this makes sense. Like this has happened when you're 18, you start to develop the eating disorder in your late, late 18, turning 19, you're going through it through, you know, being 19. And he was like, the way I can describe it is it's like a pressure cooker and you've just like built up and built up and built up and you feel so out of control of what's going on at home that you're putting this control into yourself because that's the one thing you can control. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I think having that realization and that understanding as to why I developed the eating disorder really helped me in that recovery process and and has been the a huge thing in helping me you know, never relapse and helping me want to dig further into myself and my mind and then obviously turned into the work that I'm doing today. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story because absolute credit to you, like overcoming an eating disorder is the hardest thing to do. And, you know, like you said, you've got to be ready to do it as well. And I'm very much in, in admiration so then you you sort of on your way, you're getting better. But then I suppose you're still used to doing something with your body. So you trained to be a PT and you didn't particularly like that, did you? And this is interesting where the whole you now being a female confidence coach, I thought when I sort of listened to this part of your story in terms of like the lack of confidence when it came to trying to motivate people to get fit and healthy. So if you wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit about how you trained to become a PT and then you ended up in this bikini world. Mm, Yeah. So when I was in my like late teens, early twenties, I was so shy and I guess I'd grown up learning how to express myself through my body, put me on a stage and get me to dance. And I would do it in front of anybody. Yeah. But put me on a stage and get me to speak like worst possible thing you could ever ask me to do. Like, Oh, just no. So I was so scared of my using my own voice and I always just felt like people looked at me and just thought you're just like a blonde little girl. So I don't want to take any professional advice from you. So when I started, I actually got into personal training because a personal trainer who I got, it was when I was like recovered, I guess, physically, still mentally working on the recovery. Um, My dad got me a personal trainer because he knew how important exercise was for me in my life but I just obviously had no idea how to move my body in a way that was going to be healthy for me Mm. and so he got me this personal trainer and he was really into self-development work and he was 
incredible for me at the time. Like I still owe him so much of me getting into the personal development space because I don't think I would have if it wasn't for him. And it was because of the work that he did for for me and, and the way he changed my life that I wanted to then become a personal trainer. And obviously I loved like the exercise. I loved at the time I was like um, kind of one of the only girls who would be in the weights area and I, and I felt confident in the weights area. And I, I wanted to be able to give that to other women as well. Mm-hmm. But I didn't factor in the, the fact that I was going to have to go and walk around a gym floor to be able to get clients and actually like speak to people and trying to get people to be my clients. So when it came to me, actually starting as a personal trainer and having to go on the gym floor like petrified I hated it I felt so out of control again and I thought I felt out of control of my income out of control of everything so naturally like you go back to the thing that feels comfortable for you and the one thing that I could control and I guess throughout my whole life really I'd always if things scared me I would focus on my appearance I would always make sure that my makeup was really nice and my hair was really nice and my outfit was really nice because even if I was going to be shy in a situation or I was going to like mess up in a presentation at school if I looked good then it was it was going to save me to some degree yeah and so when it came to me feeling out of control of the personal training becoming a personal trainer I was like right okay I know what I do the thing that saved me the most throughout my whole life is my body so I'm gonna prep for a photo shoot that was the idea I'll do a photo shoot then I've got pictures of me like looking all fitnessy and then I can just like put these flyers around the gym floor then people will just see these photos and be like yeah I want to work with her which is just so like oh god looking back I'm like oh Thick, please. The logic oh, though. Yeah. To, yeah. So you trained again to get your body into the kind of shape that you would be happy with, right? And it was through this particular trainer, he said, Have you thought about bikini competing? Bikini yeah. competing? Yeah. Bikini competing. Yeah. So it's like it's under the same bracket as bodybuilding competitions, but the oh, bikini girls okay. are so in the same competition, you do have like the guys with the massive muscles, and you also have um women like that as well. But then you have the bikini girls who it's still you still have to have like muscle mass to a degree. But right. actually, when you see a bikini girl in real life, they're just so malnourished Mm. um so yeah I ended up getting into that first of all it was like a 12-week prep for my first competition and I I still felt really in control of myself and in control of what was going on and I felt if I stopped at that one then it would never have become a problem like I would have still been moving forwards in my recovery I guess but I ended it ended up that being like a qualifying competition. And because I I won that competition, it meant I was then through to another competition. This was in the May. The finals were in October. So the my competition coach was like, right, okay, well, you need to do another comp in between those because there's no point in co- going completely out of shape to go back into shape in October. Let's keep you this lean. Oh, wow. So for that whole year, I, I was dieting and I like lost my periods and my hair started to fall out. I, I, I developed alopecia areata, which is like a stress alopecia. So I have like still have these like bald patches in the back of my hair. And 
when it got to my final competition, I remember kept saying to my coach, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. Like I would be training. I would be like doing like hip thrusts in the gym and crying my eyes out because I just did not want to do this thing. But I just, he was like, you're so close. Just do it. Then you don't have to do it ever again in your life. And so I'd really push myself to get through that. And oh, it was awful. And was it this coach, was this coach a PT or a, a bikini model coach? He's a PT, but he specializes in people who do these bodybuilding competitions. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's not he 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 was incredible to me. And I don't blame him for like me pushing forwards. I think he thought it was in my best interest. He wouldn't have been considering me. Um, having had an eating disorder, he will have just been kind of seeing me as a girl who's doing this competition, you know, the bikini. I suppose it's part of a wider problem in terms of like the standards that in order to, I mean, I think it's just really important for people to hear like, you know, listening to you talk about your, your hair falling out and things like that. It's like, this is what it takes to get to these pictures that we are supposed to aspire to look like, you know? it is not healthy in the slightest and at the time so many people would say to me like you you just look like the picture of health and I'd be like no like I'm so far from health right now and I I always say to people like doing the bikini competitions and coming out of that felt equally as tough as recovering from the eating disorder because with the eating disorder, people were looking at me with like sorry eyes and it was like I was ill and I needed to recover from this illness and everybody was behind me, you know, kind of backing me to get better. Whereas when I was doing the competing, people were congratulating me for being so lean. I was getting trophies for standing up on stage and being in that kind of condition. So to step away from that like step away from a body that's receiving trophies and you know all of this attention yeah. was it it was like a mat I don't know if I can swear on this podcast like go for it it, it was like <laughs> just a mind fuck for me to yeah. to come to terms with coming mm-hmm. away from bikini competing and needing to gain weight and you know return back to health mm, do you think that they should completely abolish these types of contests because like you said, you know, it's a glorified eating disorder in a in a showcase. Oh, absolutely. I I don't think a man or woman, I don't think a single person who does those compositions has a healthy relationship with their body, like with themselves as a whole or with food. Mm, wow. And a lot of them can't step away from it because that gaining weight process freaks them out and they have to go back to that body like doing another comp and another comp and another comp it's it's really sad god it it is and just on the flip side quick interlude more research more stats mm. research shows that most women report more body dissatisfaction directly after seeing fashion and bikini models Studies were conducted, so this study was actually taken from quite a few years ago, and there was two studies. In study one, the percentage of adult women who said the images of models made them feel worse about each aspect of their bodies, 57% it was the stomach, 
50% weight, 50% waist, overall appearance 50%, muscle tone 46%, legs 45, thighs 40, buttocks 40, hips 40, arms 39, breasts 34. And then in the second study, the results were, were very similar. Our results show that seeing slender and bikini-clad models had an immediate and direct impact on how women feel about their own bodies and that impact was mostly negative said david a frederick so he's an assistant professor of health psychology at chapman university and he was the lead author on this study our findings highlight the important role of media in shaping women's feelings about their bodies no surprise there and then there was another study in 2021 which i got from sciencedirect.com that said Young women's body image following upwards comparison to Instagram models, the role of physical appearance, perfectionism and cognitive emotion regulation highlights comparison to idealized bodies on Instagram resulted in lowered confidence. Comparison to idealized bodies on Instagram resulted in increased body dissatisfaction. Physical appearance Perfectionism predicted negative body image after body comparison. Rumination mediated the relationship between appearance, perfectionism and body image. And catastrophizing mediated the relationship between appearance, perfectionism and and body image. And these were stats from 2021. So, you know, it sounds like the women competing are miserable and then the women looking at the women competing are miserable as well. So it's like, what's the point? I know. Like, what? what is the point? <laughs> I think these days with like bikini competitors, so like the bodybuilder type, I think more people are aware of that situation now and, and how that's not a healthy body to have. But I think maybe a lot of the comparison, you know, that they're talking about in those studies will be just pictures of girls in bikinis with that ideal body type and how, you know, when it just kind of looks like a natural photo, they're on a beach on holiday. And I guess the comparison then can be so, so strong. Mm, Yeah. And just kind of getting to sort of you coming out of all this and learning a lot about sort of yourself and in this world and being an influencer online now yourself, the content that you make couldn't be more different. So I suppose your mission is to make women feel better about their bodies, not worse. Seeing ourselves beyond our body, where would be a good place to start there? It's hard to just say one thing, but the thing that changed my life was leaning into personal development work. Mm. And in terms of the things that people could look at, because my intro into personal development work was YouTube videos. There was this American life coach. There's probably better people out there now, but at the time there wasn't that many people talking about self-help and stuff like that. There's an American life coach called Anthony Robbins and he has loads of videos around things like your limiting beliefs and your values. And I think those two are the places where I would start. Like understanding what your beliefs are about yourself 
about the world around you? And what do you think that other people think about you? And right there, once you've answered those questions, you've got what I would call your self-image. So you've got an understanding of your thoughts about yourself. And then you can recognize like, which of these thoughts are empowering me? Which of these thoughts are helping me get through life and help me helping me achieve my goals and be the woman who I want to be? Mm-hmm. And which parts of that self-image of those beliefs that I have about myself or that I think other people have of me are holding me back and limiting me? And how can we start to move through some of those things you know, you can do the work, which maybe you would do more so with a therapist where you want to figure out where did this come where from? they come from. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's important to a degree to have an understanding of those traumas, especially, you know, we, I think we're all aware of our big T traumas, but less so aware of our like small T traumas. So like the relational traumas, yeah. you know, just kind of like unmet needs And I think the more that we can tap into some of those small T traumas, we can start to figure out actually where a lot of our self-image comes from. And I think once you've got that understanding, you can start to work towards, okay, those parts of my self-image are not working for me. And that for me might have looked like, like my appearance is the most important thing about me. Like my appearance is the most interesting thing about me. My body, people only like me when I've got a certain body type letting go of some of those and recognizing, right, okay, what are some beliefs about myself that are going to empower me and the woman who I want to become, that I am more than my body, that my body is the least interesting thing about me, that I have so much more to offer to the world. I've got so much more to bring to the table. And I think that's such a good and easy starting point. And it's, you could literally do it via a little journaling exercise. I can tell that like, you must be a really great coach because you've lived it yourself, haven't you? With again, going back to your story, thank you again for sharing. Like when women are feeling like really like the confidence has been knocked or they've not got any and, and you share what you've been through, then it's like, I think it helps people to kind of connect with you. I would, I would imagine anyway. So much amazing stuff, Vic. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you again to Victoria Neve for last week and this week's conversation. And thank you to you for listening to this episode of the Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson. Now for the important housekeeping before we sign off. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app, which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening right now on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download and access all of the content, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. If you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, please do call your doctor or the emergency services immediately. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the interviewer, which is me, and the interviewees. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice. The Priory Healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. 
Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you found this episode helpful and to find and follow us on social media if you're not already there. We are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby. Do take care and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.